0: You are listening to episode 13 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 30 Recuperation Tanith's days and nights fell into an easy, if sometimes uncomfortable, pattern. The morning light was blocked by the mass of the barn, so the gray morning lasted longer in the drowsy company of one or the other of the village's women. Each afternoon involved new poultices and fresh dressings, each new dawn saw her stronger, and by the third day with comfrey and pine-needle poultices, the redness was leached out and the stitching itched. "'You're going to have to take these out, Sadie.' Tanneth was looking down at herself during their afternoon session. Sadie nodded. "'I think so too, Mum. Sadie and Megan dragged in the tub and spent much of the afternoon heating water. Between them, they dragged the barrow down to the pump and filled several buckets to get enough for bathing." It was a race to see if they could heat up enough water so that Tanneth could enjoy a warm bath while they set about snipping and pulling the threads out of her. It was a soggy, sometimes chilly, and ultimately painful experience for Tanith. The snips and small tugs added up over time. Working on the delicate flesh between her breasts didn't aid in her ability to put the pain aside. As they came out, one by one, she was glad she'd been unconscious when they'd gone in. The thought brought back the memory once more, and her eyes went to the hearth. The crockery had not been replaced on the mantelboard. There were just a few pieces there for her use and not the piles of bowls and mugs that the village had used. Her eyes traced downward to the hearthstone itself. Something about it caught her attention and she couldn't quite figure out what it was. Sadie looked up at her. That's the last one, Mum. She saw Tanith looking at the hearth. Is there something wrong, Mum? Tanith looked down at the small wellings of blood on her body and used the washcloth to daub at them with the sweet-smelling lavender water. No, my dear, thank you, Sadie looked over her shoulder and then back at Tanith. You had the honest expression, Mum. Are you sure there's something different about the hearth? Is the hearthstone a different color? Megan and Sadie shared a glance before Sadie nodded, perhaps a bit. Mum Megan gave a little shrug. You did lose a lot of blood before we found you, Mum. She gave a sideways glance at the hearth. Tenneth felt a bit lightheaded for a moment as the realization caught up with her. That's a lot of blood. How long was I laying there? Megan shook her head. We don't know, Mom. We heard the crash and then the horrible silence. We didn't dare leave the children unguarded and Jakey couldn't leave the front door. It might have been as much as a quarter hour before we heard William shout. Sadie nodded. After that, it went pretty fast. Thomas came in from the outside and he and Jakey dragged the bodies out. We got you out of the broken dishes and Thomas stitched you up and then worked on William after. Megan was looking at the hearthstone. There was a lot of blood, Mum. All of it yours. It kind of got spread around. She turned back to Tanith with an apologetic look. Tanneth shivered. Sadie thought it was because the water had cooled. The two youngsters helped her up and dried her off. She shooed them away and dressed herself with her own comfortable clothes from her pack. She'd need more but she smiled to think of spending the winter in the snug little house. By the time she finished dressing herself, she was weak and shaky again. The bath and stitch removal had taken a bit of the starch out of her, not that she'd had all that much to begin with. Seeing the entire hearthstone stained with her blood shocked her on a more fundamental level. Megan and Sadie took advantage of the hot water in the tub to have baths of their own, unselfconsciously stripping down and taking turns pouring hot water over each other playfully. Tanith grinned at them and envied their youthful vigor for a moment. She stepped gingerly onto the hearth and poked up the teapot a bit with some fresh water and a few more leaves. While she waited for it to steep, her eyes traced the contours of the stone and replayed the battle in her head. She found it morbid but couldn't really stop thinking about it. In the middle of the stone, right in front of the fireplace, a darker spot stood out in a faintly stained rock. She didn't need to look down to see that it had the shape of a perfectly formed star. The knowledge washed through her and left her gasping in uncertainty. She'd dreamed it. As surely as the mark was on the stone, she remembered the dream and the sphere of blood. The raven dreams were real as well, or as real as such dreams might be. But if that were real, then what could it mean? People didn't dream the future. Her world twisted suddenly. She realized that it had already shifted, and she'd crossed the threshold to somewhere else with the acceptance of the raven's visions. She sat heavily on the stump near the fire and closed her eyes to focus on stilling the spinning in her mind. Tanith knew that these young women were part of it. The whole village was part of it. The notion that perhaps it had always been so, and she was only now aware of it, began to bubble into the back of her mind. She didn't know if she found the thought comforting or frightening." In the corner, the splashing stopped, and Sadie spoke to her. Are you all right, Mum?" The voice brought her back, and she opened her eyes. She smiled at the concerned look on the younger woman's face. Tana took a deep breath and let it out. Yes, my dear. Thank you. Just a moment of weakness, but it's past now. Megan smiled. Well, maybe you should lay back down, Mum. It's been a busy morning. She seemed a bit chagrined to have been enjoying the bath time instead of tending to her business. Perhaps in a bit. "'I'd like to sit here by the fire and have a cup of tea just now, though.' "'She reached up and pulled the heavy mug from the mantelboard "'and tipped the pot to fill it. "'The two young women exchanged glances and finished dressing "'before joining her at the hearth with mugs of their own. "'When the tea was gone, Tanith looked at them seriously. "'Tomorrow, I'm going to move back to my house.' "'They glanced at each other before Sadie shrugged. "'Are you sure you're ready to be on your own, Mum?' "'Yes, my dear, I am,' Tanith nodded slowly.' I'll be closer to people down there in the village, and you dears won't have to take time from your families to tend to me. They looked doubtful. If I need help, I can always ask more readily if there are people around rather than tying up your time by dragging you away. She smiled. What I need most right now is to be up and moving. Winter will be here soon, and I want to harvest some of the groundnuts and rose hips I found earlier. Sadie relented. If you're sure, Mum, we'll help you get settled again. Thank you. Both of you. All of you, really, for taking such good care of me. But you've all got families to tend to. She looked at Megan. Your Harry will be back soon as well. She smiled prettily. Yes, another couple of weeks. She arched an eyebrow and gave the woman a coy look. Frank will be back, too. It took Tanith a moment to realize what she was getting at, but when she caught on, she barked a laugh. Oh, yes, I'm sure Frank has nothing better to do. Still, the thought gave her a strange flutter, and she felt her cheeks flush. Sadie shrugged. Well he's a good looking man for somebody that old, mum. She realized what she'd said and groaned. Sorry, Mum, I just meant somebody his age. Tanneth chuckled and patted the younger woman's arm. I know what you meant, my dear, and I'm older than Frank by more than a few winters. Us old folks may all look alike to you, but believe me, we know how old we are. She smiled to reassure them. Sadie was contrite. I meant no disrespect, Mum. You offered none, Sadie. It's all right. She paused and admitted. And he does fill out a shirt nicely. They giggled a bit and Megan replied, Trousers, too. Sadie looked at her aghast. Why, Megan Tannen, what have you been looking at? Megan gave an unapologetic shrug. I'm married, you get? Not dead. I can still look. She cast another coy look at Tannen's direction. And he's a nice-looking man, for any age. Sadie snickered. Wonder if Mother Alderman noticed. She always used to say snow on the roof don't mean there's no fire in the hearth. Megan smiled at the memory. She always had something to say. But I think she was looking to rob cradles, that one. Sadie looked shocked. What are you saying, robbed cradles? Megan guffawed. Don't tell me you never noticed which quarryman it was that always filled her wood box. Sadie sat up straight and looked at her friend. No, he didn't. The delicious shock was too much for her to hold in, and she covered her face with her hands and laughed. Megan shrugged. Well, nobody left to ask now, but as often as he was over there, I always figured he was filling more than her wood box. They giggled for a bit, but it soon subsided. Sadie offered a final comment in the tones of a prayer. May the All-Mother and the All-Father find them place in the Summerlands together, if that's so. She looked at Tanith. It was Kurt. Bless him. They sat there for a moment, thinking private thoughts, and finally Tanith rose. I think I will lay down now. It's getting on dinner time, Mom. Would you like something to eat? Tanith looked outside and saw the dusk pooling in the corners of the barn. Not just now. If you'd leave me a loaf of bread and a bit of cheese, I'll toast some over the hearth in a bit. Right now I think I should lay down. They helped her onto the cot. She let them fuss over her, tucking her in and making much of her progress. She smiled and settled into the delicious comfort of the woolen blankets. The two women dumped the tub and set the pots and kettles in order before giving her a small wave and heading back to their own houses. Tanith lay on the soft edge of sleep for some time, the coals in the hearth glowing more obviously as the day faded to night. She drifted on wings of whimsy, considering raven dreams and the way Frank's shoulders filled out his shirt. Old fool... She muttered to herself, and it was the last thing she heard as she fell over the edge into sleep. Chapter 31. Another Moving Day. Good morning, Mom. Ready to move. William stood at the back door of the workroom with a smile on his face and his arm in a sling. Tanith turned from banking the fire in the hearth and smiled. William, it's so good to see you. She crossed to him and eyed his shoulder. You know, I thought he'd killed you. William grinned. So did I. He paused with a mischievous twinkle in his eye. Then I woke up with a corpse on me and a big hunk of steel in my shoulder, and I was sure of it. He had a teasing smile on his lips. But how are you, Mum? Sadie said you wanted to move back to your house this morning. Had enough living in the barn then. Yes, I didn't really expect to be here quite so constantly, but now that the problem has been dealt with, she shrugged. I'm ready to move back to my house. He smiled and looked at her seriously. Thank you, Mom. You saved us all, you know. Oh, go on. I nearly got you killed and that poor boy Kurt. I didn't do much to save him. He gave a half shrug in acknowledgement. All right, maybe not all. He smiled again. But without your warning and without your actions here, his voice trailed off. Well, I hate to think of what might have happened. Then don't. Stop being silly and give me a hand with my pack. He grinned. Oh, we'll do more than that. He stepped back from the door and a veritable parade of people came into the room led by Jakey. In less than a quarter hour, the men had rolled up the bedding, grabbed the cot, Tanith's pack, and even a few of the storage baskets and two water buckets. It all went into the barrow that waited just outside the door. Jakey himself took the handles and started trundling it down the track. Tanneth watched with a slightly amused expression on her face until William offered her his good arm. "'Shall we go, Mum?" She smiled up at him. "'Thank you, William. I was a little afraid you were going to put me in the barrow, too.' "'That thought had occurred to me, Mum, but I was a little leery about the struggle you'd probably put up.' He grinned. "'I'm not sure I could win it.' She smiled, clapped her hat on her head, and took her staff to walk before accepting his arm. They started a gentle amble in the wake of the men with the barrow. William lowered his voice and turned to her as they walked. "'Can I ask you something, Mum?" She glanced up at him briefly, but nodded and looked back at her feet to make sure she didn't stumble. "'Ask away.' "'Are you a witch, Mum?" Tana's bark of laughter echoed down the trail, and Carl, who was tailing the procession, looked back with a quizzical expression for a moment. William laughed softly to himself. "'I didn't really think you'd find that funny, Mum." She patted his arm. "'It just took me by surprise, William.' Of all the things you might have wanted to ask, that wasn't one that I expected. They walked along in silence for a few steps while Tana thought about her answer. I don't know. She glanced up at him. What's a witch? He screwed his mouth into a grimace and nodded. Fair point. After a couple of more steps, he tried again. Do you do magic? How did you know? Was it another raven dream? The questions came out in a tumble. I don't know. I don't think that magic exists, but if it doesn't, then none of this makes sense. She looked up at him again. In my dreams, I can see through the raven's eye. I see like I'm her, and I see what she sees. Sometimes it's confusing. Tanith paused, not sure how much to say. She likes to eat hornets. She sees things differently, but she sees enough of what's happening to give me the warnings that we need. Hornets, Mum. One dream while I was healing... She was hungry and ate some dropped apples from under a tree in the forest. They were covered with hornets after the sweet, and she ate them, too. William looked at her in awe. That's amazing, Mom. I'm not sure I believe it myself, but if it's not happening, then how did I know? Did I really know, or was it just a dream? But if it was just a dream, then what about the fire and birchwood and all? William took a deep breath and blew it out. Yeah, that's a riddle for sure, Mom. They walked along a bit before the next question bubbled out of him. It's always the same raven? She defends her turf and we're in it. She finds us interesting to watch. He blinked. Interesting to watch? You tore the houses down and lined up the logs? He seemed startled. Yes, mum. Did the raven show you that? She pointed to the spike of a tall fir tree. She likes to sit up there and look. She sees a lot. William nodded, eyeing the tree. Is she up there now? I don't know. I can only see through her eyes when I'm asleep, I think. She could be up there hidden in the branches, or she could be out looking for food. Is that the only magic you can do? William seemed genuinely curious. If you don't mind my asking, Mum. She smiled and patted his arm again. I don't mind, William, but I am afraid my answers will seem a bit like the ravings of a madwoman. Which, in a certain sense, they are. Mum, I'd sooner believe Amber is mad than you. He looked at her seriously and she's as sane as the day is long. Well, I don't know if it's magic or a gift from the All-Mother or what, but that's about the extent of my powers, if that's what you want to call them. She decided not to tell him about the dream of foretelling. She didn't know if that were real or just some odd brain trick brought on by the shock of the fight. Really, Mom, his tone said he believed her, but there was another question in his mind. Then how'd you kill Morton Andrew? You didn't cast a spell on him? She shook her head. No, nothing magic. She sighed. I was terrified. I bashed their heads in with my staff. William stopped in his tracks. You did what? Kenneth looked a bit chagrined. I bashed their heads in. The first one, as he stepped through the door, he never saw me. Birchwood? He was a bit more difficult. Mom, you faced down a man with a sword and killed him with your staff. William was astonished. What did you think happened? Her forehead furrowed in confusion. It was William's turn to look chagrined. I thought you'd spelled them to death. He shrugged helplessly and eyed her staff. And I thought that was just a walking stick. She looked at her staff. It's good solid oak, shod with cold iron, William. I've been using it to fend off unwanted attention for twenty winters. Most boyos don't think of an old lady with a stick as much of a challenge. He grinned back. Well, you have to admit, Mom, it is a bit odd. She snorted. Women been using brooms as weapons for as long as there's been brooms. This one just lacks the brush on the end. Besides, Birchwood didn't have a sword, just a dagger, and he came within an inch of killing me with it. He regarded her evenly for a few moments. Does it bother you, Mum? What? Did I kill them? He nodded. She thought about it. Yes. Not in the way you think. "'I'm sorry it was necessary. "'I don't regret doing it when the need arose. "'They could have left us alone at any time. "'They didn't.' "'She shrugged. "'It was necessary. "'I did it.' "'He thought about that for several long moments "'before offering his arm once more, "'and they continued down the trail. "'She glanced up at him. "'Do you think me cold, William?' "'He considered her out of the side of his eye "'before shaking his head. "'No, Mum. not cold.' But if Birchwood had known, he'd have gotten on his horse and kept riding until he was far away from here. She snorted. If he had, he'd likely still be alive. She looked up at him and tugged on his arm to get his attention. But some other village would be threatened because he was too stupid and too arrogant to make an honest living. William blew out a slow breath. You've the right of it there, Mom. You most certainly do. They strolled in silence for the rest of the short walk, and in a few minutes, William helped her down the steps into her hut. Jackie and the boys had laid a fire for her, and it was catching nicely as she entered. The cot and tick were set up, and her pack hung from a peg by the door. Wood box and water bucket were both full, and the spare baskets stood in the corner opposite the root cellar. There was even a set of crockery on the mantelboard. board. She stood her staff beside the door, hung her hat on the peg. This is very considerate. Thank them for me. William nodded. I'll leave you to get settled then, Mum. Amber asked me to invite you to dinner tonight, so don't worry about fixing a meal. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. He nodded and knuckled his forehead. My pleasure, Mum. If you need anything, just yell. He left the door open for the light and left to return to the construction. She crossed to the hearth and noted that the water bubbled already. Some thoughtful person had left her a box of tea and a loaf of fresh bread. She smiled to herself and rinsed the teapot with hot water before beginning to brew. She sighed in satisfaction as she lowered herself onto an honest chair with a solid back instead of a stool. She looked around with a critical eye and had to admit, it felt like home. When the tea steeped, she poured a mug and settled back to think about what she needed to accomplish before the snow came, what she could collect and store to work on over the dark months of winter. She sat and thought and planned as patches of sunlight traced their slow paths across the floor. After a relatively short time, she realized that the cup in her hand was filled with cold tea, and she could barely keep her eyes open. The unaccustomed exercise and stress of moving pressed her to close the doors and curl up on her cot with a blanket pulled over her. Old woman needs her nap of a morning? She asked herself the question, but didn't get to answer herself before she was actually napping. The raven dream came effortlessly. She'd spent so much time looking through the raven's eyes that the transition from wakefulness to dream was almost second nature to her. She was vaguely aware of it in the back of her mind, but the activity in the yard below gave her something to look at. She needed food, though, and took wing to soar deeper into the forest. The dropped apples were still there and delicious. She gorged on them but wished for meat, a rabbit perhaps or a squirrel. The cold wriggly things from the pond would do almost as well. She jumped into the air and winged to the pond, but the hunting was not good and she only found one small frog. She hopped up to a broken limb and preened a bit in the warm sun. She knew winter was coming and she needed to hunt now. Tanith awoke just before noon and took advantage of the fresh bread and a small block of cheese to make a light lunch for herself. Preparing the simple meal was a delicious change of pace from the round of rich broths and stews that had been made for her while convalescing. The routine activity let her think about what William had called her magic. Soaring with the raven during her nap showed her nothing of note other than that the raven felt the coming of winter and was driven to find as much food as she could. Tanith considered that, and wondered if she could help the raven, even as the raven had helped her. She made a mental note to ask Thomas for a plump squirrel the next time she saw him. Chapter 32, Gifts Frank turned the lorry wagon off the pike and back into the village just as the sun slipped down behind the trees three days before the full axe moon. Everyone turned out to greet the returning party with much laughter and celebration. The news that Birchwood and his gang were no more overshadowed the somber note of Kurt's loss. Tanith stood at her front door and watched the reunions, but stayed back out of the melee. After a few minutes of dooryard greetings, William climbed up beside Frank and they took the wagon up toward the barn. Most of the village followed along in their wake, while Tanith went back into her house and poked up the fire a bit. The evening was cold and she still needed some warmer clothing. "'She was wearing three layers of shirt already "'and sidled up to the fire "'to avoid having to put on her coat as well. "'You could have more than a small smudge of a fire.' "'She muttered to herself, but didn't take action. "'She knew every stick she burned "'would be one that William or one of the others "'would have to replace. "'She'd organized Riley and some of the older children "'into a kind of work party "'to help her harvest some of the forest's bounty. "'They'd done very well, "'dragging back several gleaners' bags full of apples. "'They saw harvesting the groundnuts "'as riotous adventure,' if a bit muddier than she'd expected. She kicked herself over that one. She should have realized that at least half the children would fall into the pond at some point or other, either accidentally or on purpose. She sighed, but laughed softly at the memory. Cute little buggers they are. The tea water came up to a boil, and she was just thinking about what she wanted to brew when she heard footsteps approaching the house. She went to the door and opened it just as Frank raised his hand to knock. His face split in a smile that seemed to glow in the dark against his weathered skin. Good evening, Mom. I hope I didn't disturb you, but I thought you might like this. He held out a cotton bag. The rest of the things you ordered are up in the storeroom, but I thought you might like your oatmeal tonight. She found her own face had taken on a smile to match his, but she wasn't sure if she were happier to see him or the oatmeal. That was very thoughtful of you, Frank. She took the bag from him. Would you like to come in and sit? Have a cup of tea? I was just about to brew a pot. Thank you, Mom. I'd love a cup of tea. He grinned but maybe I'll stand. I've been sitting a lot for the last few days. She chuckled sympathetically and stepped back so he could come in. He closed the door and followed her to the fire. He stepped up close to the flame and warmed himself while she christened the pot and set about brewing some rose hips. She realized he wasn't saying much, just staring into the fire and absorbing the warmth. How was the trip? Long. First week or so, we were afraid they might come after us, being out in the open, moving slow with the horses. He shook his head. We took turns Garden It worked out okay. The boys stayed up all night and then put down their bedrolls in the wagon most of the day. First days were the worst. Then they got used to sleeping while we were moving. She made a sympathetic noise. So how was it traveling with a crew? He shot her a sideways glance and snorted. It wasn't as bad as I thought. They're a funny bunch. He turned and presented his backside to the fire for a little bun warming. We were half mad with worry the whole time. He spoke softly, his voice barely audible above the crackling fire. She offered him a mug of hot tea and then took her chair. Oh, we were worried about you as well at first, but then Birchwood paid us so much attention we were pretty sure you were safe. Frank gave a small sideways shrug. Yeah, well, he wouldn't want to interfere with the money, Mum. It would not be in his best interest to keep us from market, especially since he'd expected us to bring back money. She sipped her tea and nodded. All the way back, we expected him to come jumping out of the trees after us. His voice turned serious. We were all so worried about what he might be doing here. It was hard to stop at night to give the horses enough rest. He sipped at his mug and gave her a sideways glance. Are you okay, Mom? William said you'd been hurt. She glanced down reflexively. I'm okay now. It's still not fully healed, but as long as I go easy, it's okay. She smiled up at him. No lasting damage. He nodded over his cup but didn't smile. He also said you killed two of them. Sometimes you have to put an animal down. She frowned into her mug. Not something anybody likes doing, but sometimes it has to be done. He nodded. Yep. The conversation lapsed for a bit, but the silence was more comfortable than awkward. Frank broke it first. I see they've moved the inn up to the pump. Yeah. Yeah. The fire gave him a bit of incentive, and the houses up there are made of nicely seasoned logs. William thinks they'll make nice planks. So he said, I need to help him set up the saw pit. Saw pit? Uh, It takes a lot of sawn to turn a log into a pile of planks. We do it in a pit with a man on the top and another on the bottom. She visualized it. Doesn't the man on the bottom get all covered with sawdust? He grinned and nodded. That he does, mum. Do you think you can get it built by spring? He considered as he sipped. I do. If we can get these logs ripped into boards in the next few weeks, then we should be able to get up a frame and a roof before snow flies. We need to foul more trees. I thought so originally, but there's a lot of logs in those two houses there, and we've got three more empty ones we could use if we need more seasoned wood. I'm taking up one whole house by myself. I could move in with the quarrymen. That would free another. Would you do that? He looked at her. Dunno. Before this trip, I'd have said no. I like my quiet. He shrugged and turned back to his tea. Now? It's kind of nice having the boys around. During the summer, I'm only here a few days at a time. During the winter, it does get lonely at times. She made a small noise in agreement and sipped her tea. After a few minutes, he asked her, What about the visions, Mum?" She glanced up. Visions? He was carefully not looking at her. "'The visions. William says you have visions and that they saved us.' "'She grunted and sighed. "'I'm not so sure they saved us, but yep, I get them now and again when I sleep.' "'She looked up at him. William thinks it's magic. "'Is it? Magic, I mean? "'I don't know. Might be. "'But if it is, it's nothing I have any control over. It just happens or not.' "'She lowered her face into her mug again. "'Mostly not.' If it's not magic, then what would you call it, Mum? His voice was warm and curious. I don't know. She looked up at him. I've been asking myself that for the last two weeks. I don't have any answers. They lapsed back into the easy silence. I thought I was going mad. She said it softly. Why's that, Mum? She gave a nervous laugh. Well, you hear about ranting old women. They live in the woods and go a little off in the head. I've met a few of them, heard about a lot more. Yes, Mum, it's a pretty common tale, no doubt. She sipped her tea before speaking. I thought I was turning into one of them. He considered her words. I can see why, Mum. He paused and glanced at her to try to gauge her mood. But what if they're not ranting old women? He caught her by surprise and her head snapped up. What do you mean? He looked away with a shrug. Well, what if they're not ranting, not crazy? What if they're just saying what they know and it sounds crazy? Thought was startling, and she relaxed into her chair to think about it. He pressed the point. I mean, think of it, Mum. You live alone in a cottage in the woods, maybe? Don't see many people? When you have a vision like this and start talking about it to people who maybe don't know you very well? She frowned and thought. The people who talk to you don't understand it because maybe you don't understand it either. Frank turned to her, leaning his shoulder against the mantelboard. So they think maybe you're a little round the bend and things go downhill from there. She glanced up at him. But you're suggesting that maybe they're having the same kinds of visions that I am? He shrugged one shoulder. Well, it fits. You thought you were going mad yourself, but you were able to find out that the visions are real. I can see a lot of people getting spooked by the idea and not being able to check on reality. Maybe the vision wasn't from a raven's eye, but something different. Something they couldn't check easily. She nodded slowly as she considered it. "'Why old women?' She sipped her tea and asked it almost to herself. Frank shrugged. "'Well, there aren't that many old men who live alone,' he grinned. "'We die off too quick.' Tanith looked at him. He joked, but there was something to it. "'Well, I prefer to think that old men are rare and valuable "'because only the good ones survive that long.' He grinned. "'I'm working on that myself.' "'Well, you're doing good so far.' The words jumped out of her mouth before she could bite down and stop them. They both blushed. Thank you, Mom. He sipped his tea, embarrassed, and tried to get the conversation back on track. But what if there's something in a woman that makes her open to this magic, this thing, whatever you want to call it, that gives you special powers? Well, that seems unfair. He blinked, confused. Unfair, Mom. Something only women can do, like a special power? The world doesn't work like that. He snorted a short laugh, Mum, you realize that's ridiculous? what women already have special powers? they already do things men can't. What's one more thing? She snorted back, really, special powers. He stared at her, Mum, you may not have noticed, but women have this power to create new lives. There's no man in the world who can carry a baby to term. If that's not a special power, I don't know what is. Well, of course women give birth, Frank,' she sighed in exasperation. "'That's not something special,' she frowned at him. "'And it's not something we do on our own, either. "'It's just part of being a woman.' "'He stared at her and lifted one shoulder in defense. "'Well, maybe these visions are, too, just part of being a woman.' "'She stood up to face him, unable to sit any longer. "'Then why don't all women have it? "'Why am I suddenly getting these things now that I'm facing the change?' "'His face smoothed, and he smiled gently as he looked into her eyes.' Maybe they do. Maybe it's a gift from the all-mother. Maybe you don't lose anything at all. Just trade it in for something else. His voice was soft in her ears, and she realized that she was standing very close to him. He smelled musky from too many days on the road. She didn't mind it at all. She almost lost what he was saying because of the blood rushing in her ears. When it sank in, she stepped back a pace to think. Her eyes went wide. Is that even possible? I don't know, Mom. I'm just trying to find a pattern here, and that seems like a pretty clear pattern to me. I can't be the first. Her objection sounded a bit shrill, even in her own ears. You're not? If you were, then the crazy old woman who lives in the woods wouldn't be so familiar. She sat heavily, her knees weak. Or what if the visions drove them mad? She looked up at him, stricken. I don't want to go mad. He squatted down to be able to look her in the eye. You're never going to go mad, Mom. Ever. She met his warm, smiling gaze. You sound fairly certain. He nodded slowly. I am. She thought of all the mothers she'd worked with over the years. Almost all of them were older than she was, even now. Some of them had seemed more than a little crazy at times. She had to admit to herself that she probably appeared a bit crazy at times herself. Almost all of them had alluded to magic or showed knowledge of a subject they had no real way of knowing. Yet they did. The thought was startling, almost as startling as the nearness of Frank's sparkling brown eyes. She cleared her throat and he looked away, then stood up and stepped back. How do I find out more? She spoke the question aloud as much for her own benefit as actually asking Frank. Find more women and compare notes? She nodded slowly. They call Gertie Pinecrest the last of the witch women. She's who I'm going to go visit. I was on my way there when I got held up here. He nodded with pursed lips. That sounds like a good place to start, Mom. But that has to wait until spring now. That's going to be a long winter. He grinned. Well, we'll have to find things to pass the time, and you're not around people who think you're crazy, so even if you're having visions, it doesn't matter to us. Her breath came a little faster as she looked up at him, lounging easily by the hearth, the ruddy light of the fire painting him in a rosy glow. Right at that moment she could think of a couple of things that they could do to pass the time, but the thought so startled her that she retreated into her mug and drained it to the dregs. When she surfaced, he was placing his own empty mug on the mantelboard. "'Well, I need to go check on the team, Mum. make sure things get stowed properly. I promised them an extra helping of grain when we got here.' He smiled a very charmingly boyish smile. "'Thanks for the tea.' Well, you're most welcome, and thank you for the talk. My pleasure, Mom, he headed for the door. My very great pleasure. She walked him to the door and held it open while he climbed out onto the grassy path. He nodded his farewell and headed for the barn in the near-dark of evening. She watched him go until his form faded into the shadows before closing the door and latching it. Odd thoughts of having her wood box filled made her giggle. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find us and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com.